Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that being clean and sober means that he's showered and he's headed to the beer store. <laughs> it's Dale. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. You got to roll on up there. You got to be spiffy. Clean and sober. <laughs> that don't last long. Though. It don't. Uh, it don't last long at all. There's a, a short line between the, the the clean and the sober part. We gotta, you get clean and go knock that shit out. Yeah, I promise, <laughs> officer. I was I was sober when I got here. Listen here, Miss Ossifer. Ossifer. <laughs> I haven't had a drink since September of last week. That's right. What's hey, going on, dude? Oh, you, man. No, not me. Not Your me. favorite kind of weather? It's lovely out, isn't it? Oh, I hate this weather. I hate the <laughs> muggy, skeeter, bug-infested. It's only 97 degrees. Is that all? It's in humid. It's a humid heat. It's, it's not like that, you know, that dry heat they have out west, you know, where it's hot, but not really hot. Yeah. It's hot and real hot. <laughs> it's hot and muggy and sticky yeah. here, yeah. Yeah, you just wipe it off almost. Yeah, you can feel, you can feel the air hit you when you walk outside. <laughs> Thank goodness for it. air conditioning. That's right. And swimming pools. That's it. Now if we can just put the swimming pool in the house. Yeah. Well, you can, I mean, you can. I mean, you can, but yeah. not yeah. my house. You can do about anything you want to do. Just, Give me a kiddie pool, I guess. Yeah. It's sitting in the cooler. <laughs> hey, I'd yeah. save a trip. Yeah. Have your beer right there beside of you. That's you got right. a TV. Yeah. That's, even, that's a good idea. Yeah. There you go. You can do it. What's going on? You got any good shout outs, dude? I do, man. Hey, bring them on. Woo! How about that? I like it. We have an Apple Podcast five star. Five star. Yes, we do. This one comes from down in Georgia from Dogs Fan eighty five twenty three. Says an awesome job. Love the show, guys. And would it be some? Well, would it be some? Would it be possible to do some Georgia cases? Well, we look back a little bit. We've done a few, but I mean, we're it's definitely possible. We can do some more. We'll I mean, I mean don't go don't go make some so we can cover them. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll dig up a few. But if you go back, uh, I know it's a while back. If you go back to episode twenty two, Russell and Shirley Durman. That's Durman, right? Durman, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a pretty damn good episode. Uh, pretty one of the early ones we did. That was, Still an unsolved really case. Good, yeah. And they uh, mentioned a while back they had some, some stuff coming up on it, but they have not released any new info. And then uh, episode 61 of uh, Patrice Andrews, we covered that. And then later we had an interview with her son, Pistol. I'm not sure the number on that one. We can look it up. And then we have episode 62, Gary Michael Hilton, and uh, he was a state park killer. He he kind of went through Georgia. wasn't really in Georgia. But I think he did some crimes there in Georgia while he was there. He probably did. Yeah. But anyway, there's a couple you can start out with, and we'll get you some more. Yeah, but we'll uh, see if we can find a good but Georgia we, case to do. Yeah, yeah. But we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to drop us a five-star and giving us a review, and uh, we love you, man. Yep. And if anybody wants to... Go to Apple Podcast and leave a review. Please do. We'll give you a big old shout out. You can be just like Dogs Fan. Dogs Fan. Yes, sir. Yeah. If anybody wants to go to the store page, get you a t-shirt. If you want to go to the website and click on the donate button, we'll be glad to take some donations. We appreciate that. It helps keep the light on. I'm telling you. And if you just want to tell a friend about us, we'll take that too. Yeah, we got a Patreon too if you want to check it out. Yep. 
we don't put much on it but yeah. it's there and it, it we have good intentions yes we just don't have much time yes yeah, it's, it's tough and we really appreciate you guys that are doing it thanks so much we yeah. really do the money does help it does i'm telling you yeah you guys are our main our main help yeah podcasting ain't cheap <laughs> nope it ain't lucrative either <laughs> but we do it for the fun and for all you guys and we love you our big family we do this is our favorite part of the week no doubt it is we love to record we do all right dude nothing else we're gonna get into our week's case well i see a good one coming up you do yeah you see it i see it oh Tenants. well keep your eye on the ball oh, we've got a good one <laughs> yeah but this week we are talking about well guess what we're going to texas yeah we're going back to texas <laughs> we can't stay out of texas no hey we love all our texas family we do they love us Okay, I won't cut you off again. Go ahead. That's all right. We get you. It's about two minutes. We'll get you on that. Yeah, well, somebody will be emailing us. Say, You're <laughs> taking too long. But this week, we are talking about Charles Frederick Albright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little bit of background on Charles Albright. Mr. Albright. He was born on August the 10th of 1933 in Amarillo, Texas. All right, then. Yeah. And when he was three weeks old, Dale, he was adopted by a lady named Dale Albright and her husband, Fred. She's got a good name anyway, though. Yeah, but uh, she spells her name D-E-L-L-E, but it's, it's pronounced the same way, Dale. So it's kind of like Southern Belle. But yeah, but Dale yeah. with an E. Yeah. But yours got an E, too. But uh, <laughs> her husband, Fred, was a Dallas grocer. I guess he owned a grocery store, maybe, or a store. I'm assuming so. Yeah. But the Albrights, they lived in a all-white, middle-class neighborhood in the Oak Cliff neighborhood of uh dallas texas yeah it's right there in dallas texas across the river or something like yeah across the river from downtown i've never been there but i'm sure somebody will let us know well they will yeah we appreciate you but according to the story dale would later tell charles that his birth mother was a, a pretty bright law student yeah and was just 16 years old who had secretly gotten married to another student and gotten pregnant that's just all kind of breaking laws right there. Yeah. And when the you'd, gr- you'd think somebody smart enough to go to law school at 16 would know this. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah. Young stuff, stuff happens. I get youngins, it. Youngins will be youngins. Yeah, they <laughs> But she told Charles that when uh, his birth mother's father found out that, you know, that she was pregnant, he demanded that she annul the marriage and give him up for adoption. Yeah. Otherwise, she was going to be cut off completely from the family. Yeah. And that sounds pretty uh, rough, but... You know, back in back in them days, the 30s, I guess, it was a whole different world. But uh, that was the story that she told Charles. Yeah, we don't know. But now, Charles's mother, Dale, she made sure that she would never abandon him. And she pampered Charles to no end. And she wouldn't even allow him to drink cow's milk. Yeah, she's kind of odd about that. Yeah. She got a lot of quirks. She does. And she actually kept goats there at the house in the backyard just for the goat milk yeah so you have goat milk to drink just get it from the tap yeah and she would do some other extreme stuff you know when uh, charles was little she would occasionally uh, put a little dress on him and give him dolls to hold dress him up like a little girl i guess okay i have no idea why she did that well maybe she just wanted to see what it was like to have a girl for a day or two or something i don't know man i don't know i mean if she adopted a kid you'd think that she would have maybe if she wanted a daughter she'd have picked out a daughter well, that's her. probably got what she could get yeah well I don't, you know, know. I don't know how it works but two or three times a day she would change charles's clothes she was weird man she didn't want him no dirt on him or nothing she was trying to keep him clean she was like 
protective times 10 yeah about this kid so yeah. you know she was and she was afraid that he might touch some dog poop or something and get polio yeah back in then you know polio was pretty rough going around and i guess that's how you get it i don't know i hadn't really studied up on the polio but apparently uh she was uh really getting it in, putting it in his head you know to don't really get out there and don't get dirty don't play in the dirt because you know there's a possibility you might talk you might uh touch some uh some dog poop in the, in the dirt and then you're gonna get the polio yeah because she would take him to parkland hospital there in dallas yes and to see the polio patients that were locked up in the iron lungs yeah She'd do that to the little kid, man. It's kind of scary, man. And she'd tell him, you can spend the rest of your life here. Yeah. So don't go out there and play in the dog poop. Yeah. Crazy. And it was one instance. uh, He was just uh, about a year old. She actually put him in a dark room as punishment for chewing on one of her tape measures. Uh, I don't know why. I don't either. If, If that was some kind of... Mm. Maybe I was a grandma's tape measure. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what dark room has got to do with anything. But I don't know, but even uh, when he's just twisting this boy up bad. I know. And when he wouldn't take a nap, she would tie him to his bed, strap him down. That helps. And when he wouldn't drink his milk, uh, she would spank him. Yeah. So she had some, like you said, some quirks about her. Yeah, you know. When I get, you know, back in them days, you, you get wore out. Get a little wire out every now and again, but I don't know about for not drinking his meal. But yeah, very very quirky. But the people around town, the neighborhood, they talked about Dale Albright as being odd and having having a grim nature. Yeah, she wasn't being undercover at all. Mm-mm. And no one could ever remember her buying herself a dress. She sort of dressed down pretty much, and she kept a scarf over her head and wore clothes from Goodwill and thrift stores. Well, she was very thrifty. She didn't want to spend no money. I mean, I don't know. I think she was a stay-at-home, you know, and a stay-at-home uh, wife. So, she, yeah. she went, there wasn't much income, and I don't know what he was making as a grocer, but she definitely wasn't blowing any money. But they, it's been reported that her and her husband, Fred, were far from poor. But she usually scrimped on, uh, like, meals, and even she would even pick up old bones at the local butcher. But she would go and get them. Yeah, she's going to make up some soup with them, I guess. I guess. Crazy. So, yeah, I guess she's she was good with the dollar, I guess. Very, very thrifty. Penny pension. But now Charles never openly complained about anything, and he always appreciated that his mother uh, taught him manners. Mm. And Probably knew better than complain. Yeah, and Dale told him to speak politely about other people or, or not say anything at all. Right. So that's a good trait to have today. Yeah. If you don't have any good th- anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, a lot of people just wouldn't talk. And she taught him how to respect women, especially when it's it came to sex. This is weird. This is the weird part, yeah. Very weird. Because uh, she actually told her son that whenever her husband Fred saw her in the bedroom in her underwear, he would try to grab her. Yeah, he was saying he was greedy with sex. Whatever that means. I don't know. I don't know. But he would try to grab her, and, and but she was not going to have any of that. Yeah. Too much groping going on around here. Yeah. But she was going to make her make sure her son... Didn't uh, act that way. Exactly. Right. And he wasn't going to be like that with any girlfriends either. But as he grew older, she insisted on chauffeuring him around when he was on a date. Yeah. And get this, she would even call the girl's parents to let them know that her son would not do anything that was inappropriate. That's right. Yeah, he was going to mind his P's and Q's. God damn, that'd be, 
They wouldn't even want to show you your face no more. <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine showing up at school and say, <laughs> Guess what? Yeah, there he is. Sorry. But, you know, there's a lot of people around the neighborhood saying, you know, she was overprotected, but they were, you know, saying that it's because she never raised, raised a child before. Right. You know, because, you know, I get it. You know, when you got your first kid, you're a little bit more. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. You wrap them up in bubble wrap and don't let them see nobody. And the second one, you can just give them a hammer and say, go play. Yeah. I mean, right. It's kind of crazy. You go play in the road, kid. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So Big difference. Yeah. But her, I don't guess her and Fred were able to have any kids or she didn't let him touch her. <laughs> That's, so what I'm, the same that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> could have been. But Charles, you know, he could see that his mom was wanting him to succeed and get ahead. And every morning before the school bus came to pick him up, she had him practice the piano for at least 30 minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. And she taught him lots of reading, writing, arithmetic and stuff. And actually, he, she would, you know, do more for him after he got home from school. He would get more lessons from her and enough to where he actually moved up two grades in elementary school. Yeah. So he's a real smart guy. And a lot of this stuff, he, she's doing this for his own good, but... I just don't think she was kind of seeing what it was doing to him. Yeah. I mean, you could, you can probably overdo it, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. But now, uh, Charles's mother introduced him to the world of taxidermy, yes, Dale. something they could do together, I think. Yeah, because when he was 11 years old, she enrolled him in a mail-order course. This was through the Northwestern School of Taxidermy. That's kind of cool, I think. It was taught by Professor J.W. Elwood. And it was reported that, you know, they said that you're beginning to learn the art that is only second to painting and sculpturing. Yeah. That's what was said in the little brochure, I guess. Right. A true taxidermist must be an artist. And I get it. I mean, it, I've seen people's work, and it, it looks like it'd be pretty hard to do. And I've seen some that look worse than shit. Yeah. But, you know, there's some that really, really look good. Yeah. yeah. And it is a, it is an art, no doubt about oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's not, you just don't grab one and do it. You got to know what you're doing. But this was something that uh, Charles and his mom could do, do together. And he set out to work on dead birds he found. She showed him how to use all the tools, the knife used to, like, cut the skull and the little spoon to scoop out the brains. Wow. And she even showed him how to cut the eyes from the sockets. Right. And forceps to pull the eyes out. So they were working on this together. This is something they could do together, like we said. It's kind of got a Dahmer feel to it, doesn't it? Kind of, in a way. When they wouldn't picked up roadkill and did that stuff yeah yeah but they would often go to the taxidermy shop i guess uh, they have a local taxidermy shop i don't know where one is around here but uh, i guess a bigger city like dallas would probably have something like that maybe i don't know but uh they would go there and charles would be looking around and he would uh, look at the the eyes they had right like the crowning touch was the eyes yeah the little <laughs> glass eyes that Those they made gloriously fake eyes yeah <laughs> The glass eyes. Yeah. And he would, you know, marvel over them, and he'd touch them, and, you know, they were just fascinating to him. Well, when you look at a, you know, a, like a deer amount or something, you know, the eyes is really what makes it. Yeah. I mean, because they look so real. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But Dale, his mom, wouldn't let him get any eyes. She said they were too expensive. Well, so I'm sure, especially for her. Yeah. She wasn't going to spend no money. She didn't have to. Yeah. And they would uh, often take buttons from her sewing kit and yeah, just, that, she said she had a better cheaper way and then she would give him some buttons to use yeah like, or or just sew the eyes shut when they didn't have any buttons to aw. use yeah but okay. she allowed charles to take these animals that he had stuffed and put them in the oak china cabinet in front of the house for i guess visitors coming over she would show like him, his uh, trophy case yeah show him what he'd been doing yeah, yeah. cool 
But this was, uh, you know, some of his works of art that, you know, he'd gotten good at. But Charlie, he had a pretty good youth, Dale. He was a Boy Scout and done a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. And like I said, he even skipped two grades. Yes. Very, very bright kid. Mm Mm-hmm. And when he graduated high school at the age of 15, he attended North Texas University, and he was wanting to become a medical doctor. And while attending North Texas University, police caught Charlie carrying some stolen cash, a rifle, and two handguns. Hmm. And this crime landed him in jail for a year and causing him to drop out of college. Yeah, that'd do that. Yeah. And after he was released from jail charlie enrolled at arkansas state teachers college and he was majoring in pre-med studies but after that he found some he was found with some stolen items again and the college expelled him he just couldn't quit stealing he just couldn't keep his hands to clean yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, well i guess his mom told me he couldn't grab nothing else so he was grabbing everything else. yeah but charlie believed he still deserved his college degree despite being expelled so he, he falsified just, some he stuff. He made one up. Yeah. yeah. He actually created a fictitious bachelor's and master's degree, uh, forging them and using stolen documents and forged signatures, like yeah. I said. Just yeah. make it up, yeah. Now, Charlie married and had a daughter with his college girlfriend, but he was caught for falsifying his degree while teaching at high school. Yeah. And he was placed on probation. Mm. Yeah. And his wife separated from him in 1965 and they later divorced in 1974 wow yeah and then he received a two-year prison sentence when he was caught stealing hundreds of dollars worth of goods from a hardware store right i think he stole a saw and some other stuff yeah yeah he broke in the back door cut a chain broke in the back door yeah but he was released after serving only six months of his sentence and after his release he befriended one of his neighbors and was eventually asked to babysit their children. Yeah, what a guy. Yeah, he was uh, attending church and doing pretty well from what it seemed. He was singing in the choir, and everybody just liked Charlie. Yeah, it wasn't long. I mean, he was even in robes out helping the priest hand out, you know, communion and that kind of thing. I mean, he was he can talk his way into anything. Yeah. And everybody super, you know, just they just loved him, I guess, because it just didn't really... All you get is what he's telling you, you know? Mm-hmm. And in 1981... Charlie sexually molested the 14-year-old daughter of one of his neighbors, Mm. and he pled guilty and received probation for this crime, but later claimed he was innocent and only pled guilty to avoid the hassle. All right. Well, this is like the second time, wasn't it? There was a nine-year-old girl that he got in trouble for. She said, you know, he did something. He denied it, too, but also didn't he plead guilty, or he just took a guilty to stay out of trouble on that, too? Yeah, he did. So he was just getting a slap on the wrist or really not anything at all. He never gets in trouble much for anything. This is another one of those patterns. Yeah. So also in 1981, when Charlie was 48 years old, his mother Dale dies. Right. And at this time, he actually travels and goes to meet his real birth mother. And he finds out that she's not a lawyer and never attended law school, but was actually a nurse at the time that he was born. So his mother told him a lie. I don't know why she wanted to make it sound better than what it was or just make him think that he came from a prominent family or something who knows right but that's what she had told him it's very possible yeah but in 1985 charlie fell in love with a woman named dixie austin and she was a shy widow that charlie had met while traveling to arkansas 
and his relationship with Dixie was one of the most romantic times of his life. He would take her on classy dinner dates and charmed her with stories and talked about art and nature. And Charlie eventually invited his girlfriend to live with him, but soon she supported him financially and paid all of his bills. There you go, Smooth. Mr. Smooth. Yeah. Crazy. But Charlie was delivering newspapers in the early morning, and apparently this was a cover-up to visit some prostitutes without arousing his wife's suspicion. Mm. And this is when uh, Charles Albright was getting into some deeper and darker stuff, dude. Right. Yeah. Because in December of 1990, there was a 33-year-old prostitute by the name of Mary Lou Pratt. She was found dead in the DeSoto city limits. This is just outside of South Dallas, Texas. And she was a 156-pound woman who was found stripped of everything except a T-shirt and bra. Right. Which was pulled up over her breast. Hmm. Her eyes were shut, and she had severe chest and facial bruises. And it can be concluded that the murderer beat her before they killed her. Right. Yeah. One of the local residents from the neighborhood where this incident occurred was so horrified by what he saw, he actually brought out a flowered bed sheet from his house and covered her up just well you know she was found all sprawled out too i mean legs spread it was really bad it was like it wasn't she was just killed and thrown out she was posed exactly to you know make it look even worse yeah but when the dallas police arrived on the scene one of the officers immediately recognized mary pratt since she was a veteran prostitute who worked at the star motel in oak cliff hmm and while the sex workers often called for help during, you know, when they had abusive clients, right. it was rare for one to be murdered, especially someone as well-liked as Mary. But uh, Mary Pratt's file was handed over to one of Dallas's most talented investigators. His name was John Westphalen. And the murder was a dumped body case, one of the most complicated kind to solve. Right, well, it's where somebody was killed in one location and then dumped in another. Exactly. So, so there's no crime scene per se, you know. Yeah, and so no he, murder weapon or anything. Right, and very, very little forensic evidence. But Westphalen and his partner Stan McNear went to the office of the Dallas County Medical Examiner to watch Mary Pratt's autopsy. And during the autopsy, one of the pathologists noted the needle marks on her arm oh it was a bunch of them yeah and the bullet hole in her head Hmm. but the examiner when they were doing the autopsy let out a gasp once they opened uh, mary pratt's eyes yeah she had a she said that uh, she was really shocked she had you know seen the you know the mark the needle tracks and all this stuff but when she went up to uh up to her up our head to get her eye color that's when she opened her eyes and there were none they were both missing yeah, she opened one, she said it was missing, and then she opened the other one, and it was also missing. And it had been done so precisely that you couldn't even tell that they were gone while the eyes were closed. Man. You know, everything everything was done uh, surgically almost. I mean, yeah. It was just looked like it was a very experienced surgeon to have done this. It was just Surgical crazy precision, how much yeah. precision was done. You know, no, no tissue was disturbed. Eyelids were fine. You know, everything was, it was crazy. She, she was just really... Uh, mind blown yeah and after the shocking situation at the examiner's office Westphalen contacted the FBI's violent crime apprehension unit 
and the unit stores all the nation's most gruesome murders on its database. But the FBI agent reported that they had no record of anything like this, you know, that occurred with the eyeballs being removed. Right. Like Mary Pratt. Crazy. Now we're moving up to February of 1991, and this is a lady by the name of Susan Peterson. She was another young prostitute. And she was dumped on the same street Mary Pratt was outside of the Dallas city limits of DeSoto. Right, right. Where all these girls are working in is a really, you know, low economical place. It was kind of dirty and nasty, and most of them were really addicted to drugs, and a lot of them were either doing it for money for drugs or just trying to support their kids or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty rough section where these girls are working. Yeah, but she had been stripped, and her breasts were unveiled, and eyes shut the same way as Mary Pratt's and only she was shot in the back of the head at the top of the head and in in the left breast yeah Yeah. but Susan Peterson's case was assigned to uh, detective Larry Oliver who didn't know about uh, Mary Pratt's murder only two months earlier and the case unfolded in the same way as uh, Pratt's case and when Oliver visited the medical examiner, they discovered that both her eyeballs were removed from her body. Right. Missing. Yes. So they got a pattern going here, dude. Pretty creepy. Yeah. Now, on March the 19th of 1991, there was another prostitute. Her name was Shirley Williams. And she was found dead, and this time at the Avalon Motel. And her body was found at 6.30 in the morning, a half a block away from the elementary school. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right there so the as these kids are walking to school they see this naked uh, corpse, lifeless yeah. corpse laying on the ground crazy man mm, awful just lifeless there on the curb really you know he put it there just so they'd be found yeah and investigator Westphalen was in charge of uncovering the murder of Shirley Williams and when he arrived at the murder site he directed the medical examiner's field agents to see if the eyeballs were intact yeah first thing go check that yeah first. And when they discovered that the body had no eyeballs, they realized that they were dealing with the same killer. They had herself a serial killer. They did. And during the autopsy of Shirley Williams, the examiner found the yeah. broken tip of a exacto knife. Yeah, well, they were looking and they did an x-ray. They found it was a little tiny triangle. And it was trying, once they pulled it out, they found that it was the tip of an exacto knife, the blade, yeah. And what they realized was at the time of Shirley Williams' death, that this uh, killer was in a rush this time. Yep. And she also had a broken nose, facial bruises, and was shot in the back of the head. Yeah, so I guess he got in a hurry or he was rushed, and so he didn't do the the precise clean job he usually does and actually had broken his blade. Yep. Now, law enforcement faced an issue with Shirley Williams' murder, and they realized that they had to change tactics this time. The two previous victims were white sex workers from the star motel but shirley williams was a woman from a different motel in another city and there was no telling where this killer would strike again right crazy but charles albright was targeted as a suspect for the killings when a woman reported to police that he and mary pratt were acquainted and apparently he was also known among the local prostitutes to have an infatuation with their eyes. Yeah, and he was always, you know, we you know, keep saying how he, he's kind of smooth and talks over stuff and whatever, but he was known to a lot of these ladies who they who he was. And actually, he went over and he helped them out, and sometimes he would give them money 
to uh, get food or take care of the kids or get drugs wherever they needed. He would help them out. And as much, um, so much so is uh, some of them even had him wrote down as an emergency uh, contact. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, so he was a real good guy, but he was definitely, uh, definitely, he was definitely a guy wearing a mask. I mean, not a, you know, a mask mask, but he was two different people. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. One person by day and another one at night. Yeah. He yeah. flipped that switch. And you yeah. didn't want that one. That's right. But after several prostitutes came forward saying that Charlie had assaulted them, police had reasonable suspicion and could obtain a warrant to search his home. And there, investigators found a Smith & Wesson 44 Magnum revolver, several X-Acto knives, and a red-stained condom at his residence. And they also discovered Nazi literature, books about serial killers, and several dolls with missing eyes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think he found, uh, you know, by one of the, the ladies, they found a condom wrapper, and then they found the same brand in his house. Yes. Yeah. But unfortunately, the gun wasn't matched to one of the the one used in the murders. Right, it was different. But they did uh, find hair consistent with Shirley Williams on his blankets and in his vacuum. Yes. Yeah, and based on this evidence, Charles Albright was placed under arrest and was charged with all three of the murders. And Rhonda Boeing, uh, she was killed in an unsolved case from 1988. Hmm. Yeah. So these three plus one more. Yes, exactly. Now, this trial began on December the 2nd of 1991, and lacking evidence, the prosecution relied heavily on their hair evidence that linked uh, Charles Albright to the three murders. But though DNA evidence was linked to Rhonda Bowie's murder, the charge was dropped because he had an alibi. Right. Yeah. Now, Charles Albright was convicted of killing Shirley Williams, and she was the last of the three murdered prostitutes and sentenced to life in prison. His defense attempted to appeal the charge due to the lack of evidence, but it was overruled. But Charles Albright was incarcerated at the John Montford Psychiatric Unit until he died in, in the age of 87 in 2020 but he was labeled the eyeball killer but before he was labeled the eyeball killer he had other names uh the dallas ripper and the dallas slasher yeah well you know really there's there was a another prostitute named uh, veronica rodriguez and she kind of came forward and she told them that she had been with mary pratt the night that she was killed and uh they had both went with this guy and they were having a, a three-way and they took him out to this field and when she saw him kill her she took off running and she was a very small lady so she had run and she finally found a drainage ditch and she crawled up in the drainage ditch and hid and then uh once he uh she knew he was gone she got out and ran to the closest house and, and this guy took her in well she told the cops all this stuff but they didn't really ever believe her she was one of those she was she was really bad off on drugs but she was she would tell them stuff, but you know she was she was known to lie a good bit, kind of the cry wolf kind of syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. And then, but and then sometimes her story would change, but it basically was you know it was basically the same, but a little bit of story stuff. So really, she had told them the whole time, you know, she was there and what was going on, and she told them the guy's name uh, that was at the house, and she went to, when he opened the door, uh, she knew him from from her work per se. And then, like, the another time he came to pick her up, and she told him that this was the guy, and they found out his address, and they took down the address, and went and she went to run it. Exactly, it came back as Albright's. So this guy was given the other the other address, and that's how they got on to him. 
So once they went there, they looked up the records in the, the house, and it was a rental property under his name and his father's name. Yes. But since he would, you know, had passed away and all the properties had went to Charles, it was basically his stuff. So that's how they got on his on his case. That's how they linked it to him. And really it was two beat cops um, that was um, – friends who you know basically took care of these girls i mean i knew they were they knew they were doing legal stuff but they were kind of like they took them as these are our girls now there. they were worried about these girls and she went to him and this girl is really the one who broke the case you know even though it was kind of sketchy and even you know she tried to back out of it later about you know change her story and stuff but really she's the one that put them on the right the right thing it wasn't really a I guess it was a, you know, I wouldn't not want to say that the investigators didn't break the case, but this beat cop is the one who done it, and she, she went to them with all the information, and the guy's like, "Damn, sound like you're onto something." And that's how they went to the house and found all the stuff. Yeah. All right, Dale, but that is the case of Charles Albright, the eyeball killer. Kind of a weird name. It is, ain't it? Really, didn't kill the eyeballs. No. He should have been like the eyeball collector, maybe. Yeah, because you know what. They never did find the eyeballs. They never did. That uh-huh. was one of the main things they thought they were going to find when they went in that house. You think you'd find them in a jar or a bag or something? Yeah, or? they uh, actually brought FBI stuff in that actually could see through walls and I mean, scanning the walls to see where they could find them, and then they never found them. And I guess he never told. Yeah. But I don't know what he done with the eyeballs. Mm. But um, he spent his last days in prison. He said he was a model prisoner, too. He just... Uh, was very active in different things and was easy to get along with and i guess he had that structure it was he always was unless he i mean he had a real bad thing there was a couple of times you know there was cases of him breaking out in a rage like once at a softball game um you know some guys were giving him a hard time about you know going down to see a go see a sex worker or whatever you know and he he turned around and started screaming i hate whores i'm gonna kill all the motherfucking whores you know and, and everybody's like whoa where did that come from you know and then he come back later and said, I, you know, he apologized for that, and he shouldn't have said that, and he kind of went off. And then there was another case where uh, he had picked up a sex worker, and it was this one was, you know, she jumped in there and told her that, you know, he would go with her, and he would go with him and give her a, a flat back rate of $25 for that's just standard straight sex. And he said, okay, jump in, we'll go here. And she goes, no, I always go to this one hotel. And he said, no, we're going to my place. You know, I got a place that I always go. And so... When she said she wasn't going to go, she said she saw him, you know, bust into a race, too, and start screaming at her, basically saying the same thing, I'm going to kill all you whores. And so she just grabbed her mace out and shot him in the face, and she got away. So, you know, it was maybe it was just when he got to think about this. I wonder, I don't know, maybe he's, you know, all this time his mama was telling him about, you know, his mama was uh, in law school early and all that stuff. Maybe he just thought she was really a sex worker, and he was a... a you know, until I don't know, but yeah, he, he had met her later, trying to get back at him or something, or something, something, something to do that. Maybe it was the one who was fifteen and you know to give him the crabs. Could have been. Maybe that's what set him off. But some, that, something to do with this is you know he seems like he's a, a pretty straight and you know I'm, I'm not a great guy, but I mean still far as none of this crazy stuff until he gets in this environment. But it seemed like he went off the deep end when his mama died. That's yeah. when the the real bad stuff started. True. I mean, because other times it was just petty stuff. Well, it could have been he didn't really want his mama to be feel disappointed by him until she was gone. Yeah. And then there's no leash left after that. But, hell, if you look back far enough, she might have been a big part of creating this. Truth could have been. I mean, I don't want to blame it on her, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of uh, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, because yeah. his mama done him the same way. I mean, she would dress him in a little girl and, you know, just torment him and make him do certain things. And I don't know, just that mama thing. It's I don't weird. know. It's kind of strange, be. yeah. But anyway, that is Charles Albright, the eyeball killer. Eyeball killer.
All right, dude, we're going to get out of here, man. Let's get out of here. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.